the saga of pre-intro updates continues. Nick, there still is a cardinal that terrorizes my life. What is, what is going on with your life with, these, with this cardinal? Is it the same cardinal? Same. I mean, Nick, how could it I be mean, yeah. any other cardinal? It knows all the windows. It knows what I'm recording. It knows when I'm not recording. Honestly, I don't know that it knows either one of those things. It just knows when it's any time of any day because it finds windows and terrorizes them accordingly. There was like a time where I feel like it chilled out a little bit. I don't know. It's just because it got hot here and needed to, you know, bide its time or whatever. But uh, yeah. So if you hear random like, I don't know, clanks and donks around uh, this podcast, it's it's not me. It's your captor. It's It's your captor. Your tormentor. My tormentor. It is. Yeah, I, I would, I would, uh, I'm, at some point, it's got to be illegal. I don't know how you take a cardinal to court, but I mean, it's, we've got to be getting close to that. But anyways, Nick, so I just, just want to give you the, the, the pre-show update. Still, still getting terrorized. To the year we started a podcast, it's a podcast born Phoenix-like from the ashes of last year's podcast. I am, I try to remember what we're doing, I'm your slimy co-host, Jeff. You're sli- that's not good. Uh, I'm, I'm a cardinal or something. Uh, I'm Nick, hi. And this is a podcast uh, where a couple of friends, half a continent apart, that want to come together and talk about some of the things that are fun and interesting to us. Nick, sometimes we read books, Yes. Yeah, uh, you know, occasionally I've I've been known to uh, to have read. What's a, a, page what's or a good two. book? What's a good book that you've read lately, Nick? Um, did I tell you that I was reading because I re- had to restart because I'm an idiot? Uh, Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. Uh, do I even know what that sh- movie? Do I even know what that it's, movie is? I don't think it's a. Uh, I do not believe that it is a movie. If it's a movie, then like my friend who recommended it to me, I should should uh, not have. Okay, what it, what is okay. this? Looks it's like a, a very it's old a murder, book. It's, it's a. It is not. It's a uh, oh, okay. murder mystery book that is uh, relatively new. It's like four years old or something like that, and it is a. But we've talked about this book on on the air because I didn't finish it before, and then I restarted it recently. Um, what else have I read recently? I'll tell you um, what, Nick. Uh, I'll say uh, if you if we talk on this podcast or honestly as friends and you're like, hey, I started this book and I didn't finish it. That's not a very good like endorsement for me to like, oh, man, I know what I got to no, pick up next. It's it's very good. I'm an okay. awful reader right now. I just like something about me in, in sitting down and actually finishing a book. I, I will occasionally like go to the pool with Jen and just sit there and read for like two hours and be like, oh, it was amazing. And then I will not touch that book and go to the pool again for a month. You know what I mean? Um, but I've also started uh, The Name of the Wind, which is part of the King Killer Chronicles, which is a really popular fantasy series. And I've been listening to that as an audiobook, which is like why it's going to go faster and better. And yeah. that has also been really good. Um, I've I've been trying to listen to audiobooks that aren't uh, that aren't fantasy series because I'm like I'm I'm not just a nerd. I'm, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I'm a well-rounded nerd. And instead, what I've learned is I can't pay attention to serious t- uh, serious literature <laughs> in audiobook <laughs> format. So so I'm like, eh, if I miss a chapter because I'm spaced out thinking about hamburgers, like who cares? <laughs> <laughs> you said, um so I, Name of the Wind, that actually uh so that's the King Killer Chronicle. Is that, yes. is that correct? Um I'm looking that is extremely well like reviewed on the internet. Like it's really good. People so far. seem to like it a lot. Yes. 
I can't, I couldn't tell you how far I am, uh, how far in I am out of pages. Uh, but I am a couple, like uh, I think, like two hours, three hours in, um, to the audiobook, and it is excellent. It definitely feels like a slow burn, especially starting out, and it kind of has this like, uh, it, you know, you know how um. Zelda games and 90s RPG, RPGs start mm-hmm. out and you're like in a little small town and it's like the, the scope of the story is starting out in a very quaint, humble beginning. Um, it has that going for it, which is nice, but also it has like, you know, is very reminiscent to me of, um, uh, to, of you know, uh, all the beautiful RPGs that I grew up with. But the, the flip side is that it does give it a slow, a slow start. Uh, and it is a big audiobook. Um, I don't know how big the book is, but the series is incredibly well received and a bunch of my friends actually uh read it like read it independently of people that don't know each other so how many how many hours is the uh the name of the wind Ooh, let's see let's see uh it is 28 roughly oh am, wow yeah. so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm actually uh i'm actually five hours in sorry i lied yeah <laughs> two hours five hours you know whatever <laughs> Oh man, but twenty eight hours. That's that's a long book. That's a good that's a good thick book. I I I I don't know the last true like fantasy epic style anything that I've read in a long time. And I think it, for me it's like the 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 entry point I just I bounce off things so easily if it doesn't capture me in the first like one no. hour or two hours, maybe. I completely agree. And and so I find it really challenging because it's not my like natural genre of thing to to dive into i do really enjoy it if i can get sucked in but like getting myself uh to be at that point is a bit of a challenge but right oh man i have thought okay. about it and i actually do have because i think mistborn was another one that you maybe recommend or the internet yes, recommended i we can't talk, we talked about mistborn not that long ago yeah yeah and so like i've i've bought the first book and i started listening to like the first three minutes i'm like Eh, I don't know. If Three I can minutes. Do it quite yet. You like, gotta do. You gotta. You, you maybe you need to find a time that you'll be like forced to to like that you're like if you're gonna go on like a long drive or like an hour like long drive that you uh, that that is like the perfect circumstance to kind of force yourself to listen to mm-hmm. the, to it and get through the intro because there's no there's no book that's captive. Well, that's not true. Actually, uh, Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle is captivating from the first paragraph. I lied to you. But <laughs> most books cannot be like we're gonna grab you off the first page. It's just not possible. Yeah, and and I I definitely acknowledge that. For me, it's just like my brain has been trained so poorly from the internet of the last you know ten years that like, well, if it hasn't gripped you in the first fifteen seconds, it's not worth consuming. And have I, you considered I already... having a shorter attention span? Says the internet. <laughs> yeah, here's some some quick <laughs> yeah pictures we can flash at you. Um, but no, I well, so first off, this is a good conversation to have because in two days' time, I will be on an eleven hour drive to Indianapolis Ooh. with my children. Uh, who will be definitely um, engaged in some very highly scientific growth activities for their brains and definitely not just zoned out watching movies the entire time. Right. Um, Watching the entire series of How to Train Your Dragon or whatever, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for at least half of it. Um, But uh, but no, I I am definitely, I've been like scoping around for a book to read because, uh, and I'm kind of a weird person because like on road trips I do sometimes like to just sit in silence and then just chat idly about things like that i don't know just... no i enjoy that too if you have if you have a good it, it can just kind of be good company right good if you have somebody that you like 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 you know your wife or somebody 
but uh, no, you know, but no, like, no, genuinely, it's a good time because, like, goodness knows, it's hard to you know find find the spare spare hours in the day to just chat about whatever. But also, driving forever is a long time, and so um, I, I have I have been looking a little bit, and I've 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 looked at the the uh, the Mistborn audiobook on Audible for a little bit, and like maybe maybe this is the time. I'm not sure. Okay, so let me give you. Two more. We're we're diverging off of um off of actually doing a podcast uh to just, just talk about book recommendations. Yeah, it's our yes. book club actually. This is a very yeah, selfish yeah. thing because I need to find all kinds of things. But I love, to. I love it. But, but I, I uh okay. So in the interest of trying to catch your attention early and grab onto you, um, I have two other recommendations that you could try. Both okay. with really good narrators because I struggle if the narrator isn't good. Ooh, a good for, narrator makes it all like. They, yes. they can make or break a, a book. Exactly. Um, so the two others that I would recommend are uh, Shade Slinger, which I think we've talked about on mm-hmm. here before. It's a shorter burn, I think. Uh, and there's only two books in that series, but it is a uh, it's really well received on Goodreads. It's got a 4.45 on Goodreads, and it's a weird genre. It's not a genre I would go back to. Um, it's called a lit RPG thing or book, and we've talked about this, but it's a book that's kind of about playing an MMO. So it is a total total uh it's the, the the setting is in a vr mmo like a futuristic yes MMO. we have talked about this yes. so total level order to, to mmos and the 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 um narrator is a an excellent one and the other one if you want to like try something completely different you should listen to uh a knight of the seven kingdoms which is the novel the novellas that are uh a uh, that are novellas from the game of thrones world uh that are set a uh, hundred years or 80 years or something like that before the, the events of game of thrones and they are short stories that do not revolve around any of the characters in the show so you don't need to know the characters in the show or have read the books or uh anything like that but they are quicker burns and they are excellent and the audiobook is excellent um so I don't know if you have any interest in Game of Thrones. I think we've talked about it, but I don't remember if you or if you're a Game of Thrones fan. I haven't but. read them. We Katie and I watched the show, uh, but I I haven't read any of the books. I've it's kind of a similar. Actually, I think I listened to the first one, maybe uh, okay. or at least the first part of the first one. But sure, yeah. Well, the the um the audio book for it was excellent, and the I literally um. I, I listened to it all on a uh, short plane ride. Uh, and, or is that right? I don't think that's right. That doesn't sound right. But I, li- I listened to it all um, and was like, does this narrator do any other work? Because I, I, I could listen to this yeah. guy, like tell tell some other random fantasy story. Also, very, but yeah, so A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, also excellent. All right, Nick, uh, the thing I want... <laughs> wow, this has been I great. I feel well, like this has been I, very helpful. I, I, I dominated. an audience of one. No, 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 no this is great. I, I feel I'm very happy about this. Uh, okay. So the thing I wanted to mention was I've been, so you've probably gotten this from me, but I, I occasionally get on a kick for, uh, for reading things. Uh, I, I, I either listen to podcasts a bunch or I read a bunch, but I find it interesting that you read like science nonfiction. I think that's interesting. I, so both my last two kicks have been nonfiction. Um, I, well, last two books I've read on this kick rather. So I read, actually, I should say I finished, what was it? Um, some random science book I talked about on this podcast probably forever ago. Um, anyways, I finished that book and then, um, I just wanted to learn something. I just wanted to read an autobiography of some scientist. Um, and I literally, (laughs) 
literally did all of the the crazy investigative like what should I read by just literally typing it into Google and the first result was something on Reddit uh, about how uh, Richard Feynman's uh, autobiography was good and so I read it because okay. I knew I, I knew who Richard Feynman was do you know anything off the off the should dome? I know who that is I don't offhand so. <laughs> Yeah. It's okay. You, I, I mean, does the name even sound remotely familiar, or or not? Maybe, like not at all. It's yes, but it's a normal enough name that I could just be telling myself that. You know what I mean? I love. I I think that I am very prone to be like, yeah, this sounds familiar, and then I like warn about it. I'm like, oh, I have no idea who this is. I appreciate <laughs> that because I'm like the opposite of like I I just try to fake it till I make it with any sort of yeah, these fair. conversations. Like, oh yeah, no, I definitely know who this is. Go ahead, keep keep going. <laughs> uh, as opposed to being honest, I'm like, yeah. There's a chance I may have heard it before, but I have no idea. But anyway, so right. Richard Feynman, he was uh, a uh, a prominent physicist in like the like till nine. I don't know. I have, I don't know. I have the dates in front of me, but like 1930 until 1960 ish before he kind of faded out of the. So World War Two, slightly post World War Two world, right? Yep. 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 And uh, he was a person who was famous for a couple things. Uh, one, he came up with some really early quantum theories, uh, like had lectures that uh, Albert Einstein attended, ended up being a part of most famously, probably the thing that he did was uh, he was a, a really prominent uh, theoretical physicist for uh, the Manhattan Project. So oh. uh, worked to develop the atomic bomb and worked with uh, like Oppenheimer and all the other famous physicists there uh, and obviously okay. that's a huge part of history um, and then went on to do uh, other theories in quantum mechanics uh, won a Nobel Prize for some of his work doing so um, very very interesting guy the the reason why I mention it is I was kind of surprised to see it so highly especially on some place like Reddit um, I'll tell you Nick as a as an autobiography that was, I believe, written in the 70s, a person who kind of lived their whole lives in the, uh, you know, that sort of like the, you know, 30s through the 70s. Yeah. Um, Nick, I'll tell you, if that was published today, it would be unpopular <laughs> by <laughs> by most accounts. It, it was a wild time machine into just like the generally like how things mm -hmm. were like portrayed, especially like with how people treated women specifically. That, that's what I was going to ask. Is it, what, what was it like? What was about it that, that would not have? Yeah. Uh, well? Oh, no, no, no. Just like uh, it was really like the thing that I liked about it was like how he would talk about how he solved some, you know, physics problems or other weird things that he did. But it was like literally every other chapter after you got about halfway through the book was like, here's some story about objectifying women. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> it was so uh, uncomfortable. Like uh, I've been, and I, I understand like in the time that he wrote that it wasn't, seen as bad but like as a person in 2020 reading that uh being the age that i am and going through all the like experiences that i've gone through like the the idea of somebody <laughs> writing something like this, I, I i don't even feel comfortable like reading some of the things that he said uh as examples it's not worth like recanting and it it, it almost made me not i i just i had to like just 
accept it for what it was because like the actual physics parts were so interesting and i do know that he was an extremely impactful I'm person sure, in sure. our in in the arc of history even uh he figured out a lot of things that for well we won't get we won't get into all of the i the, no i think that's a, i think that's an important mindset to take and i think that like there's sometimes uh two there's sometimes like we we treat people with a, of the like historical figures that they either need to pass a purity test or they need to just be like what well, he's from then. You just—he's uh, still a perfect. He's still a fantastic. What do you, what's your problem? And I think it's worth like, uh, it, it, like, kind of being able to separate individual ideas from a condemnation of the man. Like, it doesn't really matter if I think that you know uh, that what's his name again, Richard Feynman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't really matter if I think Richard Feynman's a good guy, right? Like, whether you think he's a good guy or not is not super critical in 2022. If I assume that he's passed away, right? He, yeah, he, he passed yeah. away in 1988. Right, so, like, he's come and gone, and, dude, I wasn't even born when he was gone. Like, who cares? And, like, I hadn't heard his name. It's not critical to the story of America that I think that he is a good guy. But you can... I think it's, like, important to be able to look back and say, like, dude, that is messed up. There are probably some ideas that if they... If they came downstream from him that we got to be critical of because this guy was like super sexist. It's like obvious that he was sexist. So if he has ideas that could be influenced by that, we should be critical of those. And at the same time, be able to realize that like, hey, I mean, if if, if he was a brilliant physicist who like sent physics forward and like learning about his process could still also be useful and like learning about his life can still be a useful, interesting enlightening thing right like there's there's i I don't see why we have to moralize um individual ideas to the person like to the person that they came from as long as we can still be critical of of ideas with because we know the context yeah well and like in all fairness this is this is stuff written 50 years ago and certainly our our general opinions across people have changed significantly in the last 50 years so like all and again this is probably least egregious uh among things written in that time but to me like it's a very it's a very highly renowned book and i get why it is because like i said the 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 you know the physicist side of things is incredibly interesting and like hearing about a person who just randomly bump shoulders with albert einstein and robert oppenheimer and things like that like hearing those things are captivating just from a, a historical standpoint and he's an excellent excellent storyteller and a very charismatic person in general you get the feel uh and, and honestly which which is also really cool because i went and uh i just watched some uh lectures that he did uh because he was still doing lectures in the 70s and so a lot of them are recorded and that's interesting out on the youtubes uh, as an old man so like just but he like even then so like he was talking about what computers are going to be capable of again in the 70s and uh he is so spot on on so many things that he thought literally you know 30 years plus before any of that would have came to fruition and uh it was just it's really interesting to hear somebody with that sort of mind that's capable of extrapolating from a very very small thing that we had in the early computing days and uh, you know like one of the things he talked about is like right now one of the things that computers can't do is object recognition and he's like but it's just pixels (laughs) so like eventually there will be models that will be able to understand understand pixels and guess what a certain thing is and that was like some sort of crazy thing in the late 70s uh some some crazy some crazy guy talking about all kinds of uh you know 
unheard of things, but 100% correct. That's exactly how it played out. But anyways, no, very, that's, very that's interesting brilliant. It's, it's interesting and brilliant. And it's also interesting because I think that um, a lot of like uh, a lot of predictions on tech didn't pan out. Right. But that, that sounds like, you, uh, you know, people who were uh, in, engrossed in it were probably pretty aware of like the things that, that could come. That's, that's really it's really cool and really interesting. Yeah, and, and like it's one of those interesting things where you truly understood that the guy that was giving the lecture when you're watching it, you know, 40 years later or whatever, um, he wasn't just like uh, a propagandist or somebody trying to to make headlines. He literally just gave his opinions on how things were. None of them were outlandish or ultimately wrong. Honestly, like they were all nice. all things that happened. They, and honestly, he kind of undersold it in some some cases, and uh, which was you know. I don't know, it was just a very interesting experience. Uh, very interesting book. Not 100% sure I would uh, recommend the entire thing. Just, it is a very interesting read. But him as a person and the things that he did, very, very interesting human being. So, anyways, that I just, I don't know how we've spent 20 minutes recording now I'm, talking I'm deeply so, about I'm book deeply recommendations. I'm deeply sorry about it. No, it's good. I love it. Uh, but, yeah, there you go. Richard Feynman, interesting guy. <laughs> All right, Nick. Time to take us to a quick, uh, quick interlude here uh, about oh, something. Okay, so the, we're we're just doing um, Nick and Jeff talk uh, random thoughts in their heads, not research stuff today for me and you. Because uh, well, I, I will say I, the last topic, Nick, is researched as hail. So. Oh, good. Well, hell yeah, that's what I like to hear. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry. Okay. We'll so I have a question for you, my friend. We've talked okay. about this a little bit, I think, in some different contexts, but I want to hear your perspective on it, especially as a, as a football guy. And um, I'm sorry to all our, fr- our fans that aren't uh, sports fans. I don't know what you're doing here. Um, Shame on you. <laughs> it's not true. Get with uh, okay. So I, I watched, uh, I watched uh, freaking, there's a mountain bike downhill race this weekend, and it was really, really good and really, really fun. And it felt very inevitable who was going to win. Like, it felt the entire time like, oh, yeah, uh, I I don't know why I was going to pretend like I'm not going to get spoilers. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you don't know, the internet doesn't <laughs> like to hide spoilers for, for mountain bike stuff. It's like if you go anywhere near mountain bike stuff, it'll say like, wow, can you believe that earlier today, two hours ago, Omri Piron won the downhill race? Can you believe that he did that? Omri Piron's downhill race. Right, exactly. Spoilers. Right? So this guy, Omri Piron, uh, has been on a absolute tear this year. He's won three of the four uh, downhill races, and there's only uh, six or eight or something like that in the year. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. In the circuit per year for for uh, international races, there's plenty national level races and state level races that uh, outside of that. But for the stuff that's uh, played internationally by Red Bull, um, the UCI Downhill Cup, um, he has won three or four already, and it was he went last because he qualified first, uh, and that's what they do in this format. And it was like. Oh yeah, well nobody else has had a perfect run, so Omri's gonna win. Like it's just a given. Like yeah, I mean, everybody else, nobody else has been perfect. So there's been some people who've been better on top than the guy who's in second place right now. So so yeah, like Omri's gonna win. And then he came out and he stomped it, and it was insane. And everybody else was in like um I think it was like third through second or through twentieth place or fifth through twentieth place was in a, a second and a half window, and then he won by a second and a half over the, the guy in second place. Oh my. Which, yeah, it, it is a very short track. Uh, two minutes, 47 seconds or so, I think, is the winning time. Um, so, like, it, it's a very short track. And in mountain bike downhill terms, a minute is, or a second and a half is a solid win. Like, in, like, in racing in general, yeah. Like, if you're yeah. talking a second and a half in, in nearly any racing anything, that's a that's a long time. Right, right. I'm sure as you get longer and longer races. Sure, like, if you're racing pro- a marathon, yeah. a second and a half exactly. is pretty close. Exactly. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay, but 
The point is, uh, it was like inevitable and also kind of awesome, but also kind of weird. It was like, okay, are we excited that he's so good? And then it's like that the competition's so stiff and the people have to be perfect. I, I don't know if I think of like dominance in sports as a good thing or not. Um, I have been a fan of teams that have been dominant and I don't really think that I've been a hater of teams that have been dominant in the NBA. Uh, not so dominant that I felt they were like, I, I liked the, the Warriors, the 2017-2018 Warriors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So those teams, it was like, it felt like it was their stuff to lose. They were on top of the world. And I was just like along for the ride. And it was super fun to watch Steph and KD be insane together. And I don't know, is this, is a team being too dominant frustrating for an at like for you as a person who is not, if you have, if you've ever had that experience and they, you're, you're either not a fan of them or you're like a neutral fan and don't care either way about it. So for me, um, I've, so I have felt some, uh, some frustration with an overly dominant team called the new England Patriots over the years. (laughs) Um, and that has waned pretty significantly. Uh, for one, they had like seven years there where they did not win any Super Bowls. Um, so that that helped. Um, so that, that that's like almost a, a, as short as like a normal team, <laughs> right? Like as you do. Now there still were like six or five or whatever there were in there. So that's pretty insane. Um, that is nuts. So I, I and I but I could feel like I. I and and like if uh, like if Durant and the Warriors would have stayed together and they would have won you know eighty five championships or whatever, um, <laughs> I would have I would have seen that as poor. I will say I don't feel that I've never felt that way at an individual sport, and I don't know that I have a whole lot of things to compare it to other than Formula One. Um, but yeah, I do I do have a little bit of a sense of like, well, it's definitely their race to lose. Um, or it's like one of these small handful of people's races to lose. However, because of the nature of the sport, their them losing the race certainly does happen. So like Sure. They they have they are certainly the favorites, but also uh, upsets happen literally almost every time. Yeah. Um, so and I and and even in like there there have re- and I haven't watched it you know enough years to probably be beat down by some of the more you know dominant teams. Like for example, uh, Mercedes won the like racing team that they called the constructors uh, championship uh, six years in a row, which is an incredible number of times. Um, but that is not a thing that I've experienced. So I, I've really enjoyed, like, even though it has been a very uh, dominated by a couple people sort of sport, it's still really fun to watch because you never know what's going to happen. Um, and I feel very happy for the people that are very dominant because um, so, it's it's a hard thing to stay on top of for a very long time. That's what I kind of have a um, a like or like noted down here is like there's there's a lack of tension when someone's so good in a way because there's because uh, you. It, it's not as uh it's not as random so there's not the the field doesn't feel as open but there's also like an appreciation for greatness right like it's like this guy has been doing it so well for so long or this team or group or whatever it is right yeah and and then also when they're on their way out or if they're struggling a little bit there's certain things 
that can like kind of turn that what maybe would be a little bit of regret of seeing them, you know, in the top three or two or one, you know, week after week after week, uh, it can turn that into like an excitement for them. So for example, uh, I mentioned Mercedes, their drivers, Lewis Hamilton uh, has, has been their number one driver for a very long time. Uh, and he is now 37. So like getting up there in years, Decrepit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> can you only imagine being so old? <laughs> um, I can't, I can't, but I hopefully, hopefully I'll die before such a terrible <laughs> Right. Yeah. I just, I hope I get put on my misery, but, um, yeah. but anyways, so, uh, he hasn't done super great. He's done pretty well, but not super great. Uh, but it was the British Grand Prix. He's a British guy. And I mentioned this, I think on our episode, the other either Patreon or uh, maybe the one before that, that was the main episode, but like it was the, the British Grand Prix and it was a crazy situation that had happened. And the last like five laps of the la- or laps of the race. And he had the chance to, after having been behind like the entire time, had the chance to be in the top three, which is a really, really big deal in Formula One, uh, to make the podium. And right. so like literally just like yelling for him to like like make to, to go and like it was just like it's it's weird how uh in or how not in control of my feelings for wanting him to do good, even though he's a person who's literally been one of the most decorated Formula One drivers of all time. Just because it's, it's his home it's his home thing. Yeah. And he's and, and this is this is it. Like he, he he struggled for so long, and he's such a nice guy, and you just, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense to me. It's weird because they have had success already, right? Like, you don't, they don't need the success. Like, you know, they... they right. But at the same time, when they've been so great, you're just like, yeah, I want, I want you to win, dude. You're, you're great. Yeah. All right, Nick, we have to move on because I've spent uh-huh. way too much time to cut it from the podcast, and so we need to give it give it due justice. Here. I've just been killing time waiting for this. I mean, that's not fair. I've enjoyed their cut. The Nick, what has happened today? What has happened today? Can you please we tell got, our listeners? We got James Webb's, uh, wow, James Webb Space Telescope. You got, uh, it. You got it in one. <laughs> I did get it in one. Uh, photos today, and uh, I, I've seen thumbnails. I okay. have not clicked on any because I... Uh, because I wanted to, to get my reaction live with you, my friend. Okay, so here's the thing. For our listeners, James Webb Space Telescope is something that has been in the works for, I think, like flipping 30 years. Um, we were supposed to launch it, I think, like stinking 10 years ago at this point. Um, it launched uh, Christmas Day, I want to say. I have a film or I have a video of it with uh, my son and I watching it launch. Uh, it was kind of unclear when the first images would be made available. It's been like tease after tease after tease for when there would actually be anything. And then we found out that July 12th, the day that we're recording at 1030 Eastern time, nine o'clock at my time. Well, 930 my yeah. time. There were going to be images. Uh, and then later on, they announced like, hey, just kidding. Spoiler, there will be something the day before. So we got an extra image the day before uh, to, to build Build some good NASA hype for this. And I'll tell you, Nick, it has been worth literally every second of waiting. I have enjoyed this so much. It is absolutely incredible. And I would love to take you through a little bit of a, a journey through some of the history of things. Talk to you a little bit about some of these pictures. Uh, tell me that. And talk about it. I'll, I will say 
this is a podcast uh, where the only image that you can possibly see is the time at the bottom of the podcast player going by. Jeff, why have I been recording myself on video the whole time? <laughs> so if you're if you're watching Nick's live stream, uh, then this will work out great. <laughs> Posted nowhere. <laughs> Posted nowhere. If you're standing behind Nick, this also might work out great. Uh, but otherwise, I, I nobody promise... back there. Just checked. Uh, you did make me paranoid. <laughs> okay, I promise. I promise. Promise. I will put links to each of the. Uh, in the show notes in order that I talk about them. Um, okay. So uh, we're going to, to be able to give some of the context of some of these images, I want to show you what we've captured from the Hubble Space Telescope. Okay. Uh, and before we can talk about the images we've talked to, that we've captured with the Hubble Space Telescope, I want to give uh, just a small, small, tiny, tiny history of the Hubble Space Telescope. Okay. So, the Hubble Space Telescope, we launched it in 1990, uh, similar to the uh, James Webb Space Telescope. There were like 800 bajillion delays. Uh, it took a very long time to get built. It took a very long time to get launched into space. Uh, there was the Columbia disaster in 86, I believe it was, maybe. I didn't put that in my notes, but that's off off the dome. Okay. Um, and, and that like uh, caused uh, some, some trepidation, obviously an extremely tragic thing, but also just uh, a, a bump in the road as far as uh, building reliable uh, space uh, vehicles to be able to deliver people and instruments to space. But anyways, it did launch in 1990. However, it did have um, some pretty significant issues with uh, its mirror, and it caused there to be some really, really, really bummer results from um, its uh, initial images that it captured. And so, Nick, I'm going to send you a picture. I actually, I knew that this had happened, that there was an original repair mission uh, sent to the Hubble Space Telescope, but I didn't realize how significant of an improvement they were able to make. And so I'm going to send you this. So image one for people listening at home. Um, I need to get, there we go. Oh, wow. Okay. So the significant ones are the first one and the second one. So 1993, extremely blurry. Resolution was pretty garbage compared to what we were expecting to see, and uh, and so we we sent out a uh, a repair mission to get things fixed up. And as you can see, uh, in 1994, we already had some significantly better pictures. Uh, from I gotta tell you, I actually HST. think this, the jump from two to three is pretty significant too. But yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, not not no, critical. Well, and, and I'll, I'll I will I will two, say one to two is massively different. Yeah, is massively different. I think the difference between uh, two and three uh, for our listeners that's from 1994 into 2018. I think we took another pass at this exact place in the sky, and we just took a longer exposure. Um, okay, that so I, I don't think there's any like ma- we probably did some initial uh, calibration changes and, and continue to do so during that time. Uh, but if you see significant changes after that initial repair that are better resolution, it's probably because we just spent more time on that spot. Um, but anyways, pretty pretty big deal. Uh, being able to basically turn a telescope that we were originally worried that we may have to abandon just because it wasn't going to be uh, worth the time uh, into something that obviously has turned into uh, like just an absolute I mean, gold that's... mine of uh, amazing science that's been done. Right. 
That I was gonna say that is absolutely beautiful. Like even in its own way, I know it's not the like, it's not as high resolution and uh, whatever as what I assume we're gonna see, and also what we're uh, you know what is available on like cameras for normal use. But it's still beautiful, man. So the the thing um, that we're doing with James Webb, uh, in addition to having uh, a mirror uh, or a mirror array that is, uh, I think I think Hubble is like two point something uh, meters across and. Uh, JWST is six point something meters across. So let's just call it three times bigger mirror right. uh, array. Uh, so aside from that, it also has much better cameras. Um, it can record or it can take uh, images in the near infrared and the the mid infrared. So the 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 near cam and the mirror cam, and yeah. it uh, is going to. They, they both have different benefits. So uh, the near cam, the near infrared, allows us to take pictures that are closer to like what we would consider to be visible light, um, like what we would see, which has uh, all kinds of scientific benefits. There's all kinds of things that being able to see things closely to how we would see them, you know, obviously that's good. But then there is the mid infrared, which is uh, a little bit farther from what we call uh, visible light. And it allows us to see through uh, dust and another things oh, cool. of which uh, in space turns out there's a lot. So, I was say. so we can see, and, and when we get to the last image that I'm going to show you today, you can see just how uh, significant that sort of thing can be. So what we did with the Hubble space telescope, uh, one of the things that was one of the experiments that we wanted to do was point the Hubble space telescope at the darkest part of the sky and, okay. and, and see if we could try to measure just how many, uh, how many galaxies there were in the universe or how old the universe was like what, what is in this dark point of sky that we could look at. So this was taken after the repair and okay. it's not a complete image, uh, because some issues but this was what they pointed at the darkest point that they could f that they the darkest easily uh point the darkest point in the sky that they could point the hubble space telescope at and this is what they found and it's a pretty famous picture so you've probably recognized or seen something like it before um, oh you know what i i i think i have i think i have and there's a there's a nicer version of this image that um that they took later on this is the the actual first first thing that they saw um obviously if you're not looking at our screens uh you can't see this but the top right half is completely cut out um but there are about a bajillion zillion galaxies on the screen oh, those uh, are all galaxies Every everything on here that you see on the screen, I'm trying to see if I see any stars. There's one, st there's two stars, three stars. Um, so I can I can identify three stars for sure. Every other dot on this is a galaxy, That's which, which is pretty wild. In fact, uh, there are three thousand <laughs> galaxies in this first picture, which again was a thing that we pointed this at, not knowing what we would find. It was it was just and black. we just saw three thousand galaxies, and we just saw three thousand galaxies. <laughs> To put that in perspective, um, like how big is this thing that you're looking at? The original comparison back in, this was in 1995, it released in 1996. If you held a uh, dime, maybe it's a dime or a nickel, let's go with nickel just to be generous. If you held a nickel at arm's length, that is this amount of sky that you could, like this is what was behind wow. that nickel. So <laughs> just to think, like to move it around the sky, that's that's what you would see. So pretty, that's amazing, pretty yeah. wild. I mean, you know that, like you know that in it, it, 
I mean, humans are terrible at scale, right? But uh, like, you know, if you pay attention or you, like, you know, become an adult and you care, you're even remotely curious that like, oh man, the galaxy or the universe is huge, right? Like it's, it's full of tons and tons of planets, stars, solar systems, galaxies, whatever. And you kind of understand that like the scope is outside of what you could ever know. But that's, that's Unf- absurd. Unfathomable. Like that is, right. it is, it is unconceivably huge right um so that was something that was observed uh over 10 days concluding uh on christmas funny enough in 1995 um they that was 342 separate exposures and uh it took uh at the actual exposure time that the time that shutters were open was over 100 hours um so that's what resulted in that picture there so so pretty pretty wild pretty damn Um, long exposure longer than me when i try to get that blurry effect going (laughs) this is true um sorry i I like how i'm treating this like it's just like a fun like beautiful like uh like photography session as opposed to like the scientifically critical and important thing that it is (laughs) like i want to see it in full resolution jeff (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) so i'm going to now i'm going to show you something it's a gif it's a little bit disorienting than i first show it to you but uh, this yeah. is a tiny piece of that picture that I just showed you compared with what was released on Monday afternoon. Um, and just again for perspective before I send it to you, this is using the same analogy of holding something at uh, arm's length. This is if you were to take a grain of sand and hold it at arm's length, this is what would be behind it in the night sky. Uh, this is using the exact. So this was like one of the very first things that we did with James Webb was we went and looked at this exact field that Hubble found and okay. we wanted to see how good it looked. So this is the before and after of that. Okay. Oh, wait, so this is, is the James Webb, the, the, so this is the James Webb compared to the Hubble. Yeah. So the one where Unreal. a bajillion other galaxies like pop up from the background, uh, like there's little, cause again, it might not seem like a lot of significance when you see like a little tiny, tiny little like three pixel clusters of light. Each one of those new clusters of light is a new galaxy uh, that is farther away of anything that we've ever been able to see before. Um, Unbelievable, dude. And and just like the like one of my favorite things is the lensing just uh, north or up the up and up and to the right from the main star that's in this picture. Uh, the lensing around that. That's being like spread around the the center of another galaxy. Yes, um, I, I, it's I, like, I, and and that's just all light being affected by gravity, and it's so flipping wild. And there's lots of other gravitational lensing that happens in this photo. But man, it is it was really cool. I will say it it was amazing, and I loved it very very much. But it, all it made me want to do is like see more because. Like this is cool, but it was already so amazing originally that it's it's like it, yes, it's very very amazing, but also it was amazing to begin with. So right, right. Um, so let me. So that was that was the Monday night image. So the first thing I want to talk about outside of that that happened earlier today is, and there were four or five major drops um, uh, today. The the I'm only going to talk about two of them. The first one I want to talk about is the Southern Ring Nebula, and okay. let me snag that bad boy. And and the Hubble found this first, but I 
and it, it's kind of a similar thing where it looked really cool with the Hubble, but also looks really cool now. But there, with the uh, mid-infrared, we were able to see some stuff that we've never been able to see before. And I'm not even, I'm just going to talk you through this left to right. Um, so let me know when you get that pulled up. I do, I have it. So the one on the left, uh, this is of a star dying. Um, That's what I was going to say. I mean, this looks... Isn't it wild? Isn't it wild? Like, just just oh first off, can you, you want to describe a little bit on the left image, like, what what, what is I it? Mean, I don't even know how to describe it, except that it looks like a... I mean, this looks like it's out of a Marvel movie. It looks like <laughs> a it looks like a special effect of um of like so you've got a blue a, a very bright blue center it's it, it's a similar starry sky to uh to the the gif that you sent me um or gif I don't know um and it's surrounded by the the blue light is surrounded by and interspersed with uh orange light which fades out to red light and now that you say it I can see that it's a, a star it's, it's so is it an employee? So stars are very interesting on how they die. Um, and depending on the situation, they can die in lots of different ways. And I'll get into exactly kind okay. of what's happening here. Um, but in, in this image, you are seeing um, what is waves of hydrogen and helium being blasted off uh, from this dying star. And then there's like a yolk area uh, around the That's star. That's the right way to describe it, yeah. That um, in the very center of is still very bright, and I'll get that to get to that in a second. Um, but uh, it is that is like the gas that ends up being all of the the orangish color uh, okay. outside of it. Um, this is in a nebula, and it, this is a dying star, and it's just all of the waves of of gas. And then the 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 blue part that looks like the the yolk part of things is actually a lot of the remnants of the 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 inner part of the star like the core of the star off gassing uh, i don't even know what the right words are to say um but it's it losing its mass to space um okay so what we've known about this uh is we've known it is a binary star meaning there are two different stars circling each other very closely uh, the way we can tell that it is a binary star, we could never see it before, but we could tell that this is ovular uh, as opposed to just being circular. So okay. we knew that there was another force of gravity rotating around internally in this that was causing this sense. to happen. We were never able to see it before, but because now we have the mid-infrared camera on James Webb, if you go over to the right picture, uh, we're able to see through all the gas. And you can see two little stars, one of them very red, one of them very blue. Uh, The blue one is the one that we're seeing the shine on in the left picture. It's blue, blue means very hot. Uh, so it is still a very much alive star. And the star that is dying is the red star, which is doling out. Uh, and it's the one that has all the gas that is exploding off of it. And to me, I just, the the whole idea of being able to to see this is just so stinking incredible. Um, that is, it is insane. We've so never, never been able to see something like this in this much detail. It uh can, can i be like a dum-dum i never yeah. considered that like stars could be within their own uh, within each other's gravitational proximity like i yep. never even considered that, that was a thing that happened like the binary it, star situation just it happens a lot uh, near like when the, the the denser a nebula like a nebula gets uh where which nebulas are where stars are born uh the more likely yeah. that that is to happen um and then also like if you 
uh, have two um, galaxies collide, uh, that is also the sort of thing that can happen. Is two okay. stars get caught in each other's gravitational pull, and then they circle each other very fast. Um, there is one, I believe, that is a binary star, and it's called Betelgeuse. Is Betelgeuse a binary star? Is Betelgeuse a binary star? Question mark. Hey, Jeff. Nope. It's different. (laughs) That's a different thing. It's different. Got it. Jeff, real quick. You know a lot about stars, dude. I didn't realize. Space. I I didn't know you knew all this stuff. I mean, I knew you you were knowledgeable of, like, the history, but I didn't know you knew all this stuff about, like, uh, the facts of how... Like the mechanics of stars and stuff. Like that's that's sick, man. I do. I do know some things. Also, uh, Betelgeuse is. It, some people think it used to be a part of a binary star system, and that they've okay. uh, collided to one another. So, not completely unfounded. Uh, my my memory of that, but gotcha. Also, so wait, wait, it previously was, but it collided with another nebula. The, or, the or two stars. The the two the two stars combined. Got, Maybe oh. it's oh. theorized. So Nick, the other thing I wanted to, the other picture that I just, and this was the last one that they released uh, today, uh, yeah. was the the Carina Nebula picture. A Carina Nebula is something that was uh, also uh, photographed from the Hubble. It was, it's a picture from within our own Milky Way. So not looking at something a bajillion, infinite billion, whatever mile or light years away. This is something that's actually only 7,600 light years away only. Only, <laughs> only. 7,600. Um, it's, it, it's extremely, extremely beautiful. Um, let me find the Hubble one here. Hold on. Stand by. So, but the, the, the crazy thing that we were going to tell me is that, so this is before like freaking, this is the thing you're going to s- send me is 7,600 light years away, which means it's a photo of 7,600 years ago. Yes. Yep. It's this bizarre, is, Jeff. this is the taken light 7,600 years to get here. And, and we, we got it today. This is and we, well, well, we got it. Well, 30, we, got it, we got it thirty years ago or whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. we relatively speaking, we got it today. <laughs> yeah, insane. So fresh off the press. So this is from the Hubble, and I will admit this is one of the most beautiful things ever. Um, there oh, are actually cool. there's actually other other images of this that are are pretty pretty cool too. Um, this again called the Carina Nebula. These little dust clouds that you're kind of seeing mm-hmm. are uh, things that they collapse and make stars. So okay. like, for example, that like little nodule that you see kind of poking up out on the, the mid left area, like that's the sort of thing that it, could yeah. like collapse into a star uh, because how gravity works. It's very interesting. What you're looking at is about two light years across. So very big, but not as nearly as big as what we were just looking at in the Hubble uh, deep field image. Um, okay. So very, yeah. very big, but not, now, not this as is a, This is a comparison one because I've seen this, the thumbnail that looks sort of like this is blue and orange and yeah yeah yeah. so let me and and i will say nick i'm gonna be linking you actually hold on this will be a fun game okay let me i want you to click this this is the this is 136 meg i'm not sure how fast that your internet is this is the actual full resolution one you're not going to find this one anywhere online Uh, okay Open. See how long it takes to open. Uh, it's open. Oh man! Oh man, Jeff. But uh, Jeff, <laughs> and I can zoom in really far. Uh, oh my <laughs> gosh, Jeff. Um, do you want to wow. again give a quick, quick explanation of what you're able to see, um, especially I mean, given the that? Because that's another thing too. 
people see this junk on flipping Twitter or Reddit or whatever. Like this stuff is so much higher res than people realize. Right. That's what I was gonna say. Is like I mean, if I view it in a, a browser, if somebody links it to me on Twitter or something, it's not. It's gonna get compressed to hell and back. Um. So it's an incredibly, incredibly vibrant, sorry sky. Uh. With like the corner, the top left corner and the bottom left corner are both pretty dark. And but the the middle, uh, the most of the this the image is dominated by this orangish red hue, like waves of dust. It looks like to me. Is that what it, you said? This is the dust, right? Yeah, it's all a bunch of dust in a cloud or a star forming nebula. Right. So just waves and waves of it that are incredibly vibrant and interspersed with stars behind them or in front of them, I'm not sure. Uh, and massive stars all over the screen. Like this is more of like what people would like. This is more uh, vibrant and bright than any art you've ever seen de- depicting like a fantastical image of space it, it just mm-hmm. is it just is it's it's so nick uh real quick i just wanted there i mean again this is a very very extremely visual thing on an audio medium so yeah i don't know how much describing it we can do but just for fun which isn't even the point of this image but definitely a thing that you do not get in the hubble version of this just zoom in a little bit at top like where the dark part is in space yeah, I have. And there's every so every single one of those dots that are not fractalized, like where they have like the this uh, I don't know, fractals, like the little the little long shiny things, the the, the, the starburst, spokes. Basically. Yeah, the starburst yeah. things. Uh, every single dot that's not that is a galaxy. That's insane. And and just and you can zoom in and you can find pixel on pixel on like like any part you zoom in on, there are like your screen is consumed with multiple dots so like if you are fully zoomed out and you're like oh man there's so many and you zoom in there's, oh there's more and you zoom in oh there's more oh 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 there's still more no matter what i do <laughs> yeah it is i don't know it this one to me was the most moving especially seeing the like first off the amount what's really cool to me about this one is the amount of depth that you get as opposed to the one that is from the hubble yeah uh, the hubble you can't see through nearly as much dust so it kind of looked like like it's all like one flat uh dust cloud whereas it on does. this one you can clearly see like there is an immense amount of depth uh in in this whole nebula area also um this is a very tiny tiny piece of the sky that they have observed there are lots of other things in this whole uh Carina nebula that are very interesting that i cannot i mean i literally cannot wait to see um one one last tiny thing this is i will we'll, this will be a thing that we'll have to bring back up uh when they actually get a image of it because i can't imagine that they don't um this is a star that is like 400 times bigger than our star and it is the closest such star to us that we have um and it's actually it used to be a binary star and they are like starting to fuse and this is our best picture so far uh that was taken from the hubble Um, it's in the same, same cluster or same nebula as the stuff we just looked at. Yeah. I need to see me. I need to see me an updated picture of that thing because that is that, I mean, that is in flipping sane. I I don't even, I don't even know. So, um, this is one of those moments. It it is insane, by the way. It's absolutely nuts to think about stars merging. Uh, like also for uh, perspective, the distance from the middle of that, uh, star right there to the outside of it, um, is like almost our entire solar system. (laughs) So no, that's not true, but I do think it would swallow like and get close to like, uh, 
outside of Mars and close to Jupiter, which is pretty big. So, um, you know, these things, I'm not, I, I'm not like a, a romantic who's moved or a, I'm not the kind of person who's moved super hard into tears or anything like that. And like, I'm not so existential that like this, this is going to break my, my uh, sense of self, but this is very humbling in terms of like thinking about how small we are considering how, like, you know, you zoom in and you find like, oh, there's like a single white pixel here. And that could be like our entire solar system or our entire mm-hmm. galaxy. Um, and we're just one of, I, I was going to ask you, is there do we know how many uh galaxies are represented here is it hundreds of thousands tens of thousands in in the the picture behind the carina nebula itself yeah yeah i i mean it's i mean it's in the hundreds of thousands and again we're still talking about i mean this is just a picture of a very this is this is part of the milky way galaxy one spiral one tiny piece of one spiral of the milky way galaxy and the the galaxies behind it it i mean this is nothing like it is I mean, I've had the, the the fortune of being in the Midwest where we don't have a whole lot of light pollution. And on a really nice day, you can see the Milky Way through the sky. And I like this is just a tiny little speck of that, uh, that we are we're pointing a very, very expensive, very, very cool telescope at. Right, um, right. But yeah, like it is, this well, is an incredibly small part of the sky. So so is this revealing stuff for, for like, does this this type of image explicitly reveal the location of new uh, galaxies? Yo, 100%, yeah. So okay. uh, we've all, so, well, that, that, so that's my my last thing I wanted to mention. Um, yeah. We, we are finding Ooh. things that we didn't know existed. Um, and this thing, has been like the the images we're seeing are from the first five days of operation um this thing is quoted at having a uh horizon of 20 years and nasa is extremely conservative with the the estimates that uh, it gives for how long they expect things to last for example hubble space telescope in 1990 uh it was supposed to live 15 years uh and uh you'll you'll note that it is is still going and strong. That's awesome. Um, and it's actually now expected to last until 2030 to 2040. And again, that's being very conservative NASA numbers. It's very likely that this thing could go well past 50 years. And so the idea that we're already saying that uh, after the successful launch and deployment, we still think that JWST will be uh, active uh, and live for 20 years. Um, it's, it, I mean, that's already longer than what we said for Hubble. And and Hubble had an extremely huge problem like that the there is there's a very good likelihood that this will last through both of our lifetimes as far as the science that it does and this stuff that we're seeing absolutely amazing pictures is very cool we already knew it was here so like there's no surprises just seeing it better um yeah but this is the first five days worth of stuff and so it will nice. be doing science 24 7 365 for the rest of our lives and i cannot flip and wait there are so many cool things that we've like found that we would love to have a better image of there's black holes out in the, there there's close exoplanets to take images of i mean there's there's just all kinds of crazy things and uh, if, if this is any indication of basically just rediscovering better better more informed images of uh and readings of things um which we didn't even get into all these things also come with really good readings about what they're seeing not just the actual you know the physical thing that you can see but also what 
what is what are the elements that you're seeing um right there's there's just so much stinking cool science that's going to come from this and i'm very very excited to finally not just talk about how cool it might be someday but to talk about how cool it is actively being so stinking too freaking cool cool is right i i I hate just repeating that but yeah cool is right and it's the sort of thing that just makes me happy Uh, at at the end of the day there's so many terrible sucky things that go on in the world but to learn stuff about our our universe and our galaxy and the bajillion galaxies around us uh it's just it's again like kind of what you said not the not to be too sappy about it but it's the sort of thing that just kind of puts you in your place about your your size in the universe it's 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 pretty spectacular how impressive this stuff is and it's cool Two, i couldn't agree more and it is too freaking cool man all right nick well now that i finally got to have my james webb space flipping telescope episode this is my favorite one this has been my favorite one of the bunch i feel bad because i feel like i often don't have anything to say during them but like i enjoy them and today's was even freaking better well i appreciate that um right when i loaded into our original show notes i happened to highlight over (laughs) Uh, our list of recurring segments, and I literally was right at space stuff, so I feel like that's fitting. Um, Anyway, if you want to, if you want to enjoy more of our random stuff that we do uh, on a shorter form, uh, you can do so on the off weeks uh, that we don't upload here. That is uh, our Patreon-only podcast, which you can check out at uh, the year we started another podcast, which is at patreon.com forward slash tywasap. Yep, and you can also follow us at uh, Tywasap on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Uh, and you can find all of that at tywasap.com. Nicholas, thank you for joining me on our trip through the galaxies and universes and a bunch of books that one or both of us have read or will read. Or, or will read, eventually. Uh, dude, uh, thank you, man. This is so, so <laughs> freaking fun. I'm like, I'm like blown away. I'm still looking at the freaking image, by the way. Uh, you are welcome. This has been the year we started the podcast. Thank you all for listening.